nervous? <laughs> no. Where's your answer? Dennis Beckham, let the ball out! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Oh! oh, no! Oh, yes! He missed it! Welcome to the Suffering from Joy podcast. My name's Devin. We're going to do a little bit of a different episode today. I know there's been a lot of discussion on Wolf in, Wolf out, and we'll have some kind of direct on-the-field discussion about that, but we wanted to discuss something um, that happened a little before this became a major issue. So one of the big pieces of Wolf in, Wolf out is whether we have a sporting director or not, as most of you know. Um, Josh Wolf was hired before we had a sporting director, and then we hired the sporting director, um, who's a guy named Claudia Reyna, who was in the news a bit during the World Cup. Um, and he's had a little bit of a checkered background um, before, after Austin FC, during, all of the above. Uh, so I don't want to make too much light of it, but there are some concerning issues. And I wanted to make sure we had an open platform for some people who may feel um, not necessarily as included as kind of the, you know, group of white guys who bitch about shit on podcasts like me and other folks. Um, so allow me to introduce uh, Harley. How you doing, Harley? Good. How are you? Um, you know, been better, been worse. Not a great game on Saturday, but uh, we're focusing on some uh, some bigger issues here. And uh, Carrie, Carrie, how are you? Hey, uh, recovering <laughs> from that. Recovering? <laughs> well, I mean, nobody can recover from Kansas that quickly. So um, I guess, yeah, uh, let's kind of open it up a little bit. So um, I guess let's open it like kind of on a two-pronged question because Claudia Reyna and Josh Wolf are both kind of like two-pronged in a little bit for a lot of us. Um, they're both very tight into U.S. soccer and Austin FC. Obviously, Claudio is no longer with the club. He kind of got constructively fired and then actively kind of released from his deal. Um, but are either or both of you soccer fans, USA, Austin FC? Like, obviously, you're soccer fans, but USA with Austin FC? Uh, Harley, I'll let you go first. Um, yeah, I was a soccer player when I was younger and the U.S. both men's and women's teams were a huge part of my like formative years in soccer. And then when Austin FC was announced, it was kind of a huge dream come true for me to have an MLS club in my city. Great. Um, and did you know about the, the Claudio stuff, I guess we'll call it at NYCFC before the team was announced? No, I did not. Um, that's definitely something I learned about when all of the recent stuff came out. Okay. Um, Carrie, do you want to tell us a little bit about your kind of soccer history? Yeah, I am a total soccer newbie. Um, basically, just a few years ago, started paying attention to U.S. women's national team. Um, very brief uh, watching the men's team with my husband. And then when Austin FC was announced, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Never really expected to get involved with it. And then it just kind of swept my legs out from underneath me. And I am, you know, all in on it. The community, the the team, it's been a lot of fun having them here. Yeah, it sounds like both of you guys got the, uh, the joy and now we're doing a lot of the suffering bits, <laughs> um, unfortunately. And I apologize to anybody. Uh, my voice is a little cracked right now because I was at the uh, Austin Rise game last night and <laughs> yelled a little loud last night. Um, but uh, Harley, you said you're a little more tied in uh, historically to, to the soccer scene, especially with U.S. soccer. Did you know anything about like kind of Gio or Claudio Reyna or before this whole 
I guess, men's side thing blew up at the World Cup? Like, kind of what was your read on everything? So, I mean, Gio obviously was, like, the up-and-coming star. So I had awareness of him um, and, like, knew that his dad was tied to Austin FC when that was announced and kind of those connections. But um, I didn't realize kind of the level of nepotism and just like kind of boys club that it really tied into until I did a lot of digging with the more recent like news that came out. Uh, Carrie, how about you? I mean, did you, did this come out like kind of like just after the world cup for you or did you kind of like put the pieces together? Like, Oh, Josh was Greg Berhalter's like right-hand man and both of their kids played together at Austin FC. And this is, um, like Harley said, a boys club or did that just sort of go, Oh, that's a weird coincidence for you. Yeah. Obviously not really having a whole lot of, you know, context beforehand, um, had to pick up on bits and pieces through, you know, context clues within our, you know, game chats and people talking about, um, you know, conversations of who was with who and the similar, the system is very similar to what was used here, here and here, and kind of having to look in and go, okay, so there's a relationship here between all of these names and kind of slowly decoding it. And then obviously the deepest dive into that came as the more negative things started to come out. Well, I mean, we had a little bit of practice, right? So we had the whole Cecilio Dominguez situation. Yes. Um, And I don't actually to this day know if the club knew about everything he had done before he came to the team. Uh, I think most of that was actually dug up by a fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I know who it is, but I'm not going to say their name because I I didn't ask them ahead of time. Um, But... Uh, I mean, what was, uh, and we'll start with Harley here. Uh, what was your reaction when you found out all of the, you know, past of Cecilio? Uh, I mean, I was appalled. Um, I have a history of being in an abusive relationship myself and um, having someone on the field that people were cheering for and rooting for and knowing what he did was just heinous. Um, I can't tell you how many times that I argued with people online about whether or not someone who was abusive should be on our team and a role model for children. Um, And that whole experience, I mean, tying it to why we're here talking about Claudio Reyna, like if he didn't know, he should like, he should have done the work to know. And if he did know, it's just another piece in a longer, more established pattern for him. Uh, Carrie, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was the initial, you know, hearing of it was like, oh, gosh, this is about the Cecilio news. It was like, this is, this is awful. And I think like many people had spoken saying that this kind of comes with the territory of sports, um, professional sports, especially, and thinking about the day that this would inevitably happen, but not thinking it would happen so soon. And then kind of a very unique experience I think a lot of us went through was anyone that was very outspoken or trying to help educate the community on what it's like to live through abuse. I remember like a four-month stretch of every time we I logged in, if it was Twitter, if it was Slack, it was just like an onslaught of men trying to explain away or completely disregard all of the the allegations and the first person to do a Google search, but look 
in Spanish and it was all right there and going like, how many times did this happen prior to? And not, I personally, I did not believe that somebody could scout someone and not find that. That is, especially if they are, you know, scouts that are, you know, bilingual or are searching, you know, uh, I think it was our South American scout that has people, I can't remember what his name was, but people have mentioned how involved with, you know, scouting he had been. And even at the most basic knowledge of somebody, you would think someone would do like a Google search um, and just finding all of that and watching everybody try to weasel their way out of, well, that doesn't mean that's anything. That doesn't mean anything. And then you have this community reaction to it. You would assume somebody like, you know, Claudio, you can't ignore when that's going on in your own community of soccer fans and then to be having behaviors that, you know, unless he just separated it so far in his mind from, you know, what his, what he was doing and what could get out versus what we were talking about. I, I guess I just assumed that people would clean their behavior up. Um, and then obviously that did not happen because almost exactly a year later, we were all looking at it like, oh, great, here we go again. Uh, welcome to sports. Everyone's terrible as long as you win. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, no, I'm like, I'm legitimately sorry that that's how this reality works. But um, I guess I want to kind of dive into, we can do a little bit on the, you kind of mentioned some of the facts. We had the South American scout. We signed three players from the same Paraguayan team, uh, Johan Romagna, Rodney Redes, and um, Cecilia Dominguez. And I don't know what kind of due diligence the, club did but clearly it wasn't good enough and you know none of us uh, you know a lot of the time when this sort of sort of thing happens like you're like well he's a guy with character issues yada 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 and like maybe you don't find out what those are but like it comes out and you hear okay well maybe he's like uh you know not the greatest guy or something like that but uh it took literally like a fan deep diving stuff for something that should have been easily done and you know less on like the initial signing but Carrie, how did you feel when you saw all that come out and you're like, holy, you know, not just like this guy's a terrible person, but how did you feel towards the club? Um, honestly, between the silence of it all and just, again, how easy it was for a fan to uncover it, I was like, you, you'd think they would have been more careful, especially so early on in, you know, their expansion team history. And I you just kind of in your mind go, well, you know, performance speaks louder than what they do off the field. And it was just assuming automatically like, oh, that's, that's the type of like front office that we're dealing with. That's the type of, you know, system we're dealing with is people who just go, well, hey, it's soccer. And as long as the performance on field speaks for, you know, itself, then which I mean, arguable at that point for him, but uh, the, the way that his, you know, his fans jumped on top of that grenade for him. It was like, <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, if you're going to go by the hole, as long as they're good, they can get away with it. I, that even baffled me more. I'm like, why are you jumping on the bomb for this guy when there's not even a whole lot to show for it, but it, it just kind of comes back to that built in disrespect that is in the fabric of, um, you know, men's sports and 
that attitude towards women and uh, towards, you know, anyone feminine, how they can just, hey, he's good at sports, you know, sorry you got in the way, sorry he had a slip up, sorry his character was a little off, alleged, it's an allegation, oh, she did this, it wasn't that, it's, that's just kind of built into to the the fabric of sports. And I, one thing that hit me really hard is I'm a Michigan state girl. I could not get any more of their sports. If I had tried at one point in time was just all about Michigan state athletics. And when the Larry Nassar case broke, oh. everything changed for me because I mean, I grew up in that community. I knew the football coach. I knew the basketball coach. I knew the president of the, you know, like my family was part of the Michigan state family and to see how many people were involved and then hear the whisperings of other stuff that hasn't even broken yet for other sports, things that were swept under the rug. And, you know, these, these coaches were, I grew up playing basketball, like the Tom Izzo was my hero, but then hearing about all these things like, Oh, this, problem came up with one player or this allegation of two players and what they did in a dorm and blah, and then it just disappeared. My trust was so broken from how they handled the Larry Nassar case um, before, during, and after even just locking students out of a town hall meeting and threatening them with arrest for asking questions of the interim president, who was a former governor of Michigan that already was corrupt and awful and then to see, you know, all the stuff that happened with sports and, and coaches that I loved going, this is part of the deal. This is baked into sports. And this is especially into men's sports. It's just that is part of the contract, basically. If you're watching it, if you're, you know, enjoying it, friends of somebody, fans of somebody, someone is going to break your heart at some point, And it really just kind of comes down to where your own moral character lies. So having that pop up in our own community was just like, oh my gosh, here, you know, it, I don't want to try to compare the two things because obviously, you know, they're, they're not on the same level, but just to see the reaction from people, which was the same reaction when the Larry Nassar stuff first started to see the, the reaction from fans, you know, silence from the team to see it again, repeating with another member of Austin FC's, you know, extended staff it was just like oh I can't trust anything I can't like here's this one sport the first sport I picked up after basically stopping watching everything for years I pick it back up and then there it is right in your face again abuse in multiple forms from multiple people it's very sobering yeah and uh just a kind of quick cut for anybody who doesn't know the story Larry Nassar uh, was a gymnastics coach for both Michigan State and the uh, women's gymnastic team for uh, the U.S. Olympic team. Uh, and it's some like straight up Penn State shit. And it's really creepy. We're not going to go into it here. Um, there have been hours and hours and hours of things that have been said and. Documentaries. Honestly, like, yeah, um, you can look it up. And it, we're probably underselling it right now, but uh, yeah, I didn't want to. Grab a wanna... barf bag, do a Google search. You'll figure yeah. it out. Yep. Um, so I didn't want to completely undercut Harley here, but um, Harley, what are you uh, what are you thinking right now? I mean, uh, I felt a lot of the same things that Carrie did, where it was like another 
it's just another time this is happening and it's the same exact response. Um, I think for me, for my experience, because I have been a multi-sport loving person for my entire life. Like I grew up Sundays spent in my grandfather's recliner chair with him watching Cowboys football. I've like basketball spurs or my team. Like I follow multiple sports and have seen this so many times over the years from various teams um, that I was, it was disappointing to see it in a, in my own community. But the difference this time was while there was the group of fans that had the similar response where it's, why did she stay with him if he's abusive and um, well, he performs well on the field. We shouldn't care about what he does off the field type responses. This was the first time I had a community of people that felt the same way I did and calling out the fact that um, fans should get to critique the team when things like this happen and should have a responsibility of being very loud about disapproval of a player when they do things like this. Um, And that's probably the one like good thing that came out of that situation for me was I ended up with a community of people around me that not only were willing to speak out about the fact that the situation was wrong and were willing to kind of fight the fight against the fans that wanted to say that he was a good enough player that it shouldn't matter Um, but like, we're willing to believe me as a survivor and help support me going through all of that and seeing things that kind of mirrored my experience. Um, that's probably like the biggest piece for me was the fact that yet again, we encountered people that tried to minimize abuse, but this time we had people fight against it. Yeah. And I mean, I think this has been litigated enough and I think you guys said it, um, you know, the guy's a piece of shit, right? Um, So let's fast forward to kind of what, yeah, what we're actually here for, which is kind of the the Josh Wolf claudio Reyna axis, as I'm going to call it here. So I'll do a little bit of an introduction here. Uh, Josh Wolf was hired as the head coach of Austin FC. Josh Wolf was the protege of a guy named Greg Berhalter, who is the U.S. national team coach. Totally different set of things with him, but um, I'll give the quick and dirty on it towards the end here. Um, and then Claudia Reyna was hired as the sporting director, which is sort of like the GM or the CEO of the team afterwards. And so, um, we kind of mentioned it a little bit like us soccer is sort of this like giant incestuous bubble, uh, where everybody knows everybody and it's a good old boys club. And that vibe sort of got brought to Austin from Columbus. I'm not directly blaming Columbus. That's just the, the setup Anthony Precourt brought with him. And so um, there was some Claudio stuff before, but I don't think it really came to the fore until after the World Cup, uh, the most recent Men's World Cup with the whole Gio Reyna thing. And basically, I'll give the quick version, which is uh, Claudio Reyna, who is the sporting director at the time of Austin FC, threw a giant bitch fit um, about their kid not getting enough playing time, hashtag um, white people soccer. Uh, and <laughs> or suburbanite soccer, I guess. Uh, it's not really fair to throw on Claudio, but um, and uh, at like the highest possible level. And Greg Berhalter, you know, was you know, there are people who have problems with him, and uh, he didn't, you know, play their kid. Turns out he was being like kind of a spoiled brat, but maybe Greg Berhalter overreacted. None of this matters to the conversation we're about to have, but that's kind of your background. So, uh, we find out later that all these people have been friends for like 30 years 
And um, Claudio uh, had, so uh, Greg Berhalter, this initially comes out, uh, had, uh, I don't want to undersell this, but essentially abused his wife before they were married when they were in college. Uh, and then Claudia Reno, who we sort of had this background on, had covered up some things when he was the sporting director at NYCFC related to um, sexual abuse, um, some sexual misconduct from one of his players, David Villa, who was like the man and for a long time was one of my favorite players um, before I found out about any of this stuff. And this all turned into a giant clusterfuck. So, um, Harley, you kind of want to give us your take on, like, how you found out about all this stuff and kind of what your reactions were, the order you found out about these things? Yeah, so I had um, honestly kind of not spent as much time following the U.S. men's team as I did the women's team. Um, They don't win as much. Oh, yes. And uh, honestly, it was it goes back to men's sports being eventually it's going to be a problem. It's just a matter of when. Um, and then knowing that I had kind of transitioned to just supporting the women's team um, and then cheering on the men's team for big events. So I had lost some of the awareness about the things that was happening kind of behind the scenes or at the club level that kind of got swept under the rug and there were just whispers about it. Um, but when the initial, um, kind of news cycle about, um, Reina's wife starting the complaints against Bear Halter and that whole snowball, um, that's when I like learned about everything because at that point, then it's you just search Reina controversy and all of these different articles from over the years pop up and you're like, oh, this is a pattern of poor behavior, not just an isolated incident. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the crux of what we're getting at here is it's a pattern of poor behavior. And uh, Carrie, how did you kind of find out about this whole pattern, like in what order or... You know, when did you start wanting to light shit on fire or something like that? <laughs> uh, I think I had heard, again, through like game chats and stuff of people mentioning that there was something with Claudio prior to being with Austin FC. And I had heard it was, you know, a club in New York City. And it was more of those like, what did he know and when did he know it? It wasn't that he was personally involved. It was just like, uh, you know, he never knew that that was happening, which obviously we know more now, but at the time I was just like, oh, okay. So someone who probably just got caught up in something happening underneath him within his team, didn't sound like it was his fault. I didn't read into it. Um, and then when all of this came out about hit, about Claudio basically leveraging a situation of abuse against a woman in order to get back at his friend and someone who was coaching his son. That's when it was like, okay, I do remember hearing something else about him and searching through, which I don't know if they've paid to have SEO optimization to hide certain things. It was extremely difficult at even at that point before, excuse me, before the next level of stuff had come out, it was even hard to kind of find, wait, where was the original report and who was it? Cause message boards pop up and, all of these things that essentially lead to nowhere. So 
it took a while to get kind of that full picture, but just going like, oh, okay, so this is, this is not somebody talking about abuse because it was awful and it happened. This is somebody specifically only using abuse against a woman who they were friends with to get back at someone who's coaching his son. It, it strips any amount of care out of the situation, any amount of like, not to mention how long ago it happened. Um, it just, it really solidified a very cold kind of dark mentality that this person must have towards women that sports men come first. They are the end all be all and everything else is a pawn. Everything else can be explained away or whatever, but digging into the stuff um, up at uh, NYC FC was, it, I was just like, oh, okay. So there's no way he didn't know about that. There's absolutely no way. And once you, once you establish a behavioral pattern, I know a lot of guys like to think that it's just, you know, people jumping on a, a guy and going like, oh, that's just what, you know, women do. That's just how, you know, these things happen. They get falsely accused. It's like, no, usually people speak from patterns of abuse that they have been through themselves or that they have known. And um, when you get a bad feeling about somebody and you've got multiple examples, there's just, there's no explaining that away. Guys might try to, but you know, women, femme, we don't. Yeah. And I mean, it. we need to point out too, like NYCFC is owned by the Abu Dhabi group, which is owned by, you know, the same uh, people that own Manchester city. They don't exactly have like a women or anybody other than like, you know, rich guy friendly regime. Yep. So they probably went, Oh, well, you know, what's going on here? Like, you know, we don't care. Why are you guys talking about this? Well, uh, and even the accuser had even said that she knew, like the quote in that article was she knew to expect a decent amount of weird comments or offhand jokes and learned to not, not let that stuff bother her saying, oh, I have brothers. I've been around those types of things. I've been in men's sports. I'm used to it. Like just that alone establishes a problem that has been downplayed to the point where, <clears throat> excuse me, it comes with the job. It comes with the territory of being a woman in a men's locker room. And, you know, that's, I can tell you from people I know that have been in the same positions that have worked, whether it's in a, a press office, an athletic trainer, like doesn't matter who they are, that just comes with the territory. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I've been in plenty of men's locker rooms where I'm like, guys, this is a little much. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I'm, you know, uh, we had a know, president who said that at one point. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, it, it feels like it's institutionalized, not just at the NYCFC level, but I mean, we got a few examples here at Austin. So, I mean, uh, does that affect how you view the team at all? Is this just like a, let's figure out a way to go forward or is it like uh I could never look at you the same way thing I feel like uh Harley you should take the lead on this one um yeah so I mean it definitely changed the way I viewed some of the players um the and not in a negative way some of the players found ways to kind of subtly acknowledge um when stuff is going bad that they support the things that like Los Verdes is speaking out against like that they support us speaking out against it um and so that's been really cool to see um 
and not that I ever expected the players to do that, but uh, that that combined with the fact that uh, I have been ever hopeful for my teams to do the right thing um, has let me stay very much a fan of the players themselves. But my viewpoints on the front office definitely uh, changed in a way that I don't I don't know how they will change that perception in my mind. Um, I just am now primed for them to like not do due diligence and hiring um, very quietly, try to like solve the problem, sweep it up under the rug or just not even acknowledge it at all. Um, And that just feels like more of the same, like boys will be boys mentality or like the locker room talk not staying in the locker room type thing and um it's apparent that the the at least the higher level people in the front office are not willing to make the changes or be kind of a force for change within the sport yeah and i don't know if it's that they don't know or if they don't care but either way it's not great obviously well and i mean they it would be easy for them to know which is why it's so hard for me to believe that they don't know like we have found so much from just google searching and kind of following threads and unraveling the stories piece by piece that anyone whose job it is to make these decisions even if they weren't doing it themselves they have assistants and people that are on their teams that could have been doing it like there's there's no excuse for it at this point no, but I mean, uh, as the old saying goes, uh, people are willing to not know a lot of things if their paycheck depends on it. Uh, yep. So, I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's stupid, but is it a little bit our job to get it in front of the, the front office? And I think that's what fans have done uh, in both the Cecilio and the, the Claudio situations. But, I mean, that seems like a bit of a burden on us, right? Yeah, and the thing is, it shouldn't be the burden of the fans, I guess, is the point I was trying to make. Is like yeah, exactly. A front office could absolutely choose to set the example and be different than the rest of the league. Um, and it's just apparent that at this point in time, because it is, like you said, such a like incestuous environment where it's like, this person coached this person who's now coaching this person, and this person's going to go over here, and everyone is connected – um, no one's willing to kind of break away and make that change. Oh, no, he couldn't have done that. He's a good guy. And I mean, we saw the same thing in the uh, Portland organization um, and, you know, arguably worse, but uh, I don't, I, I don't know what to do here. Cause you know, I don't have a billion dollars to buy the club. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and if I did, I probably wouldn't <laughs> quite frankly, but <laughs> uh, Carrie, how do we move forward here? Well, I, like Harley said, obviously the burden should not be on the fans, but I feel like this, I mean, you can take the multiple sets of abuse um, allegations and associations, set that in its own little area. We've still got like five other things that we've found out about this specific, the way that this team is run, the way the front office responds through just living in Texas and having um, awful things unfold on an hourly basis, things that other teams in the league find the need to respond to uh, that ours does not. Um, A lot of times they, people are paying close enough attention, our um, fan efforts a lot of times get kind of 
recycled by the media team for Austin FC to make a statement without them having to say it. So whether that's, you know, uh, supporting, even after like, you know, Uvalde, the uh, gun violence banners that we had, like there was nothing being outwardly said about the the things that we were calling for as fans, but they were kind of using fan-driven efforts or whether it's like, you know, pride parade versus uh, the, all the banners and, and pride, you know, related TIFO type stuff, like all of that, they'll do their one little like, uh, we support pride, ta-da, that's it, one tweet. And then the rest of it is just, you know, this rainbow kid. Buy it, buy it, buy it. <laughs> Look Buy at the picture now. of this person with rainbow flags and makeup and look at that. Look at them. They're here. Yeah. Like you could be here too. See, we're not going to outwardly say like you're safe here or anything like that. But so from a fan point of view, we've already seen whether it's like, you know, it, and nosedive into the political, you can't really separate soccer from politics, but whether it's gun violence or um, LGBTQ plus issues or abortion access, healthcare access, those type of things have all been things that have come up that have had fan-driven efforts that, and again, other MLS teams have made their statements and their, their positions known on this where Austin FC has, uh, Austin FC has stayed silent. So when they are kind of they're they think this is a symbiotic relationship, but it's not really, you've seen, you know, with the ticket price increase, all these things that fans have brought up and they're like, we have done this, 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 we have asked for very little. And we have not gotten that. So when it comes to the the big serious conversations about things like abuse, I I think unfortunately the only thing that we do have moving forward is to make sure that they don't sweep stuff like this under the rug. I don't know how much the fans had to do with Cecilio um, not ever setting foot um, on the pitch after those allegations came to light. Um, certain fans will have you believe that we had everything to do with that and. Sure, more power to us, I guess. But they, that situation was, you know, their feet were held to the fire. And I don't know if all of these supporter groups had not come out and said something about it, if that would have been the case. But so far, the Claudio thing, they've just, they swept that thing right under the rug. And here we are weeks later, and they're probably like, whew, we didn't have to answer for any of that. And we're just going to move forward rather than, okay, so you, you silently removed him, silently let him go. What is, why are you silently doing something when you could have made even the most basic lawyer speak statement about what you do and do not condone? But again, the club draws that line every time and either airs on the side of letting the fans speak for them and kind of using it in their media to show a very loose appreciation for their existence or, they, you know, like they did with the Cecilio thing, they just, that was it. He was gone. Not a huge, not a whole lot of words on that, if I recall. And so I guess moving forward, I think, unfortunately, it is going to have to be on us because we don't have anybody in that organization that has proven that they give a shit. And you've got players who give a shit outside of soccer, who you know would be commenting on stuff like this, but obviously cannot. So it's, you know exactly who is the one putting the uh, the silent treatment on all of these issues. And I think the fans are the ones that are going to have to peck at it until we can get somebody to pay attention and realize that um, this is not acceptable. But 
right now the money's flowing. The season ticket wait list is good. I mean, as far as they know, they can continue playing like this and continue, you know, treating fans like this. And they're always going to have the same atmosphere to rely on. So it's, it is something that I think fans could definitely um, turn up the heat on, but it just depends on how many people are willing to do that. So many exhaustive issues later. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty fucking grim picture, but I can't disagree with any words you just said. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, we get the promo videos where it's, you know, a bunch of banners about Uvalde and then, you know, we introduce the uh, Smith and Wesson corner of the next week or something like that. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of want to caddy off that point, you know, the front office isn't going to do anything. So Harley, are we in a spot where we basically have to like, you know, crazy deep dive every fucking player we're ever rumored with to make sure they ever get signed or something like that. Like this is ridiculous. It is. And unfortunately, like we've been talking about, it is the burden of the fans and there isn't a good solution other than doing that right now. Um, I think the only way to kind of shift that would be basically mobilizing the fans that feel the same way and finding ways to show the front office what they will be missing if they alienate us further. Um, I mean, perfect example is in portland with the uh you knew banners right and they, they did. and yeah they portland fans said like we know you knew um and we're not afraid to call you out on this and they caused enough like outrage that it was able to cause momentum within their organization and so i feel like austin is kind of at the point that we're gonna have to do something similar if we want to see something change Well, I mean, is that really going to cause a long-term institutional change or is it just going to kind of be, all right, well, we swept this under the rug again? I mean, it depends on how much we hit them where it hurts, which is money, right? That, That is what they care about. They prioritize profits over people time and time again. And the only way they're making profit is if the fans are giving them that profit. So that's where it's going to take a large group actually targeting their profits for for us to potentially see them make the changes we would like them to make yeah um and let me ask each of you i guess we'll start with carrie if you had a magic wand that could change anything about this club towards this issue generally or kind of um fixing a toxic culture um good luck uh (laughs) what would you like to see changed Um, honestly, I think more women in positions of power, more, more femme, um, you know, even if they're, uh, hold on one second. There's a sneeze coming. (laughs) I am so sorry. I've been trying to hold that back. I've been muting it repeatedly to try to not get that out. Um, That's okay. I'm allergic to this club's bullshit too. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm in this hotel room that has like a 1% humidity. So everything is, is uh, dry and sneezy in here. Um, but yeah, I think magic wand, um, you know, more, uh, more women um, or femme employees in male spaces. I, that's, I know it's going to get like a ton of laughs, but it's, you can do sensitivity training all you want. You can do, um, 
you know, have people, they're still going to, they're still going to have the same behaviors. If you do sensitivity training, if you go through and require a certain amount of hours of education or whatever, um, you're, I mean, you can't force somebody to learn something they don't want to learn. What you can force on, you know, the people below these levels is a level of participation where it's like, you have to coexist with people who are coming from a different point of view than you, who have been through different things than you, and who will have different suggestions and different, you know, morals than you. And it's, I know it sounds silly and I'm sure it's a huge hurdle, but magic wand, that's probably what I would change. Well, that's why we gave you a magic wand, right? Woohoo! Yeah. I didn't (laughs) ask for practical solutions. Uh, That's not what this podcast does. Um, Harley, same (laughs) question. Magic wand, what would you change? Um, I mean, my first instinct is exactly what Carrie said. But I think the other, like, possibility that I would change would be um, removing the, like, nepotism and favoritism that exists in the USSF as a whole and um, just kind of all of U.S. soccer, because if you can change the everybody's protecting everybody, everybody's friends with everybody, then you don't have the things getting swept under the rug and people are willing to much, much more quickly speak out against things happening. Uh, depressingly, I think you have a better shot with a bunch of uh, hyper jack testosterone males taking a sensitivity training seriously uh, than that happening, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, been- all the sensitivity training does is teach them how to be better at hiding things. Yes, it yep. does. Been there, done it's that. It's like Can tell being you forced to sit experience. through a lesson. <laughs> I mean, I was in loss prevention at a retail store, and all that did was teach me all of the ways to steal things. <laughs> Perfect. Well, there also, you also looked at like soccer as a whole. And one of the things when I was reading about like Claudio's just shit fits that he's having, pardon my language, um, overbearing. Curse curse away. Oh, we can curse. Oh man, I missed like 40 minutes worth of cursing. Okay. I'll make up for it. Um, it's proud of you. Yes. (laughs) Damn hell ass. Um, overbearing sports parenting. That is what, when I was like watching this unfold, I'm like, this is no different than the peewee levels of where they have to put literal signs up on the sidelines. So that's tell parents essentially like people don't get paid enough to deal with you screaming over your kindergartner's soccer match. Don't do it. Like overbearing sports parenting is from the bottom to the top. It is applauded. It is expected. It is, I mean, they stop at nothing to, uh, you know, withhold, obtain, use damaging information, use stuff to their advantage, tell their kids to play dirty. Like you're, when you're doing that from the bottom to the top, like, yeah, no wonder you're going to have that. And if you oust them, there's a bu- there's someone even younger who's going to fill their shoes in and occupy that space for a longer period of time. So, I mean, we're probably talking about changes that don't take over until, you know, we're in the dirt. So if you're going to attack a system of, bad behavior not only are we trying to re-educate society as a whole but just on the soccer front it starts in like kindergarten oh yeah I coached three and four year olds literally the youngest they're allowed to play and one of the kids did not want to play the parents signed him up um trying to I guess get him like social interaction because he was an only child that he would break down crying every time that I would put him on the field during a game he loved practice hated the games so I stopped playing him because I wasn't going to force a three or four year old 
to go on the field when it was so upsetting that he sobbed and the parents screamed at me about how I should be forcing their child to play their child needed to learn this x y and z and I was like I'm a volunteer coach I don't I am not gonna force your child to cry and like make them hate a sport because you didn't gauge your child's readiness or willingness to do this they also have like the whole millennial generation to look at what the pull yourself up by your bootstrap mentality and the like, you know, the quote unquote, don't be a pussy where that's gotten us. It's like, all of us are in therapy. All of us are completely dead on the inside and looking for the slightest joy to uplift us. So hey, some of got- us are just dead on the inside and not in therapy. <laughs> it <laughs> saves money. And I, I commend, if that is you, I commend you for the money saving uh, deadness there. I would also like to point out the pull yourself up by your bootstrap sprays. Like it's impossible to do that. And the original phrase was highlighting how impossible it is to do that. But somehow along the way, it became this like ideal of like work harder and you'll get there. And it's one of the most infuriating things about like that phrase. Yeah. Like the article of, Oh, I, I uh, sold the condo my parents gave to me out of college and we used that to pay off our, yeah. Like the, yeah, How I got my I, start. I started with a meager $10 million loan from my parents. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah, you know, some of us donate plasma and have even asked how much we would get for a kidney. But uh, honestly, if your parents gave you a condo, congratulations. Yeah. And I mean, some people would get that and still can't make it work. Yeah. That one uh, thing going on Twitter right now about the people calling in. We have a million in credit card debt. We both make like 250000 a year. And the guy was just like, I... Honestly, I can't help you. I <laughs> can't help you at this Spend point. Less. You can't make it work. Jesus. Yeah, your existence is a failure. Next. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can I can talk to this too. Like uh, nobody wants to, you know, you're talking about parents abusing their kids. Think about the, the referees too. Like we always complain about how terrible the referees are. Uh, I umpired, you know, like Little League Baseball, like eight-year-olds like 20 years ago. And like parents just scream at you. And I'm like, you know, however old I was at the time, uh, like 13 years old or whatever. And, you know, parents are just like on you, like, oh, that was like a quarter inch outside. Like, I can't believe you called that a strike. It's like, holy shit, people. Um, you realize all of us are like learning on the job, too. And like, it's, you know, I can understand, like, at some point you're a professional, you should know how to do this job. But like, mm-hmm. uh, the whole parents like screaming at refs and, you know, 12, 13, 14, or like three or four year olds. Um, I think that sort of like conditions kids too to kind of act out and be like, oh, well, anything that doesn't go my way right uh is the referee's fault or whatever and it just you know it feeds into this giant toxic cycle of uh of sports in this country well and you've got someone like claudio that had this huge like the first thing i ever heard of him was like oh big soccer family great people like you know obviously talking about their their son that passed which was also leveraged in the statement released by his pr or I, i don't even know if you can call that pr but whoever released the statement after the Burhalter stuff came out was leveraging, like calling on their son that had passed and being like, Oh, they went through this traumatic thing. So look over here, look over here. And it was like, Oh my God. But you heard about this family that is like soccer royalty, soccer legend. Everybody who has played is playing, will play, knows them, knows about them. And then you see an email of just a hissy fit or hear about being upset that his son in U 17 world cup was not given first class accommodations. And you're like, is there no embarrassment 
left in anybody anymore. But when you are the God, there are people at lower levels that are obviously looking at them like, now that is a soccer father. That is, that is what you do when you love your kids and they play the game. And it's like, well, we're screwed. Well, and when I was playing, um, like I started playing when I was eight years old, played through my sophomore year of high school and I got an injury that like ended my playing. But I remember all of the like girls team just cringing when some of the dads would be screaming at us Mm. like and at all age ranges over all that whether it was like rec team club team school team did not matter there was always multiple dads yelling at us to do better to ignore the coach that the to like flop so the ref would call something like there's always those like almost like armchair quarterbacks in the stands screaming at you. And I like something I noticed as a player was like the girls team kind of like despise that. And like, be like, Oh God, not again. Like, can y'all shut up? Whereas like, it seemed like the boys team embraced that, or at least certain members of the boys team embraced that. And like, we're like, Oh, though, that's what you do. And then when I was refing my first year of college, um, I reffed like the seven to eight year olds and the things that were yelled at me um, were appalling. Like I've never been accosted by a stranger in such a fashion. And I did not get paid enough to do that. No. And I mean, that that's the crux of the issue too, right? Like, well, first of all, for some of the things people yell, like there's no amount of money. Right. But also like, <sighs> There's no way um, you're signing up to be the object of uh, the spectators. And that's what it turn is, turns into sometimes. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I got to go to my, you know, kid's shitty, like, JV game. I guess I'll scream at the ref to entertain myself. It's a completely ridiculous setup for sports. And honestly, it sickens me, but um, I didn't want to derail. Sorry. Oh, well, the thing is, but that just highlights like the fact that it's become such an acceptable thing. And like the kids are taught that it's okay. And then they do that as an adult. And then you look at like what Carrie was saying, where you have this like American soccer dynasty of sorts. And that's the behavior that's being modeled um, where you've got the, the Reina texting after the, I think it was the game against Wales about like, the female um or was it I I might be mixing up when it was but when he texted about the female ref and like that there should be better refs for his son's game and um it's just it's absurd like why the ref made the calls like if there's an issue with their job critique the performance not their gender and why do you think that's special to your son yeah he said in all honesty can we get real and have male refs for a game like this? It's embarrassing, guys. What are we trying to prove? A game like this deserves better attention. Like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fuck off, first of all. I think that was during the U-17 World Cup and came out later when he was bitching about his kid um, not playing well enough. And as I pointed out several times, the best ref during an Austin FC game last year was a female ref, yep. uh, Catherine Nesbitt. And, yep, who had you know, to just eat whatever was being screamed at her as well, which was awful yeah and i you know i mean that's just what we hear too i'm sure it's uh way worse when you hear everything right yeah not to draw like lines but 
when you see when these people that are even at like, you know, watching their kid play in, you know, second grade, third grade, and they see people coming after Raina, a lot of the defenses that I saw were like, well, that's what anybody would do for their kid. And it's like, you are defending him because this is the same behavior you are exhibiting. And not to like go too far back in this conversation, but that's what what we saw online damn near every day during the Cecilio stuff when more and more stuff was coming out. It was like, oh, you call that abuse? That's not abuse. And men I'll were show getting... you abuse, right? Like exactly. it, it almost got to that point. But uh, they were getting it, it did angry. Get to that point. <laughs> yeah, they were getting angry and aggressive. And I had said to one of them, I was like, is there a chance that the reason you are so upset about us calling that abuse is because you do the same stuff at home? And he was like, well, if you want to call me an abuser, then yeah, call me an abuser. And I'm like, okay, you're an abuser. If you do that, you are an abuser. And that's where a lot of that anger came from was, you know, some guys only classify abuse as a slap in the face, some of them not even. But then when you call out, you know, whether it's verbal abuse or, you know, stuff that never was, they always like to say, oh, the court will tell us as if that's a fair and balanced system to begin with. But you have these groups of people that were getting angry at us for calling out those behaviors as wrong because you know they are doing that in their own time and they don't like being called an abuser. So they took up Cecilio's battle personally, even though they had no connection to him, no joy of having him on the team. And you're seeing that with in a, you know, a different sense with the Claudio stuff is you've got people at other levels that are like, well, I do that. So, I mean, what are you talking about? That's just soccer. If you don't want yeah, to play, it's normal. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if uh, a court of <laughs> doesn't rule them guilty, right? Like it doesn't count. That's ridiculous. I'm an attorney. I'll tell you it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, not guilty means we didn't have enough evidence. It doesn't mean you're not a piece of shit, right? Yep. Yeah, but that's one of those buzzwords of the, you know, I'll let the courts decide that. It's like, oh, will you? You'll let the He's courts allegedly. decide that. Yeah. yeah, and then when he does get found guilty, it's, ah, she lied. Women lie. They do this to to stick it to a man or gold digging, blah, blah, blah. There's, it, I mean, there's like a, a full book written of all the excuses. I was going to say, it's weird how it always steps down into a different excuse. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we see the playbook on and on. Yeah, um, can't be wrong. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, no way it's wrong, right? Like, we've done it, and there's never been, like, anything wrong that's happened to anybody for, uh, you know, 5,000 years, right? And if they're wrong, then it's, you better shut up and sweep this under the rug as quick as possible. We got to get this to go away one way. Yeah, if you're wrong, well, you know, are you calling into question the system? Um, yeah. So, I, I I don't even know what to do with this. Um Harley, where do we go from here? Do we just, you know, fight on and do the best we can? Or uh, as fans, is there something we can do? Well, I feel like it's for fans, like maintaining like your morals and expectations, right? Like just because a team is doing something doesn't make it okay. And it doesn't mean it's right. And if something goes against kind of what you feel like should be happening, it's you do have to speak up. Unfortunately, that is the system we're in. And until it changes, the burden is on the fans to speak up and ask for change, ask for shifts in what they're doing, ask for accountability. Um, I mean, demand that they pay attention. Yeah. But like, how do we do that? I mean, the same ways we're doing now, uh, the, the banners and the, 
um, statements online and the bombarding the front office social media with um, complaints and tags and just, I mean, in a digital age, it's very easy to get information seen. And so by staying on top of calling out and speaking out and then doing things that provide visuals that you can then post online to go with the words is an easy way for attention to be brought and the club to be aware of what our expectations are. I, I agree with you. I just wonder if we're not starting a perverse incentive here where anytime the front office wants to do something, it's on us to tell them it's fucked up. And I, I mean, mean, maybe that's the reality, right? I, I think that is the reality of the situation. And I don't think there's a great way to make change because like when we mentioned uh, Portland earlier, I mean, the Yates report had all of these guidelines for um, what would be recommended for coaching staff to not be able to be in multiple positions and all of these guidelines that are meant to protect the players. And as far as I've seen, many clubs have not, switch to those recommendations they haven't been willing to change the system even with something as visible as the Yates report so I don't really have good ways to change the system except for the like delete all start over button but obviously that's not going to happen uh well I mean if I find a way I'll let you know right right I mean if maybe if I suddenly become like uh bezos level wealthy i'll just buy the entire league and start over but that's not likely well isn't this the whole point though like even if you were bezos level wealthy you wouldn't buy the league and start over you just start your own league that's better right i mean if you could find a way to actually get players away and get the like coaching staff that is willing to make those changes away sure but like at a certain level i feel like a hostile takeover where you just get rid of everybody might do better yeah actually that would uh now that i think about it you're i think you're right uh that would send more of a message right yeah yeah otherwise just buy the dillards across the street level it and then make fc austin your colors will be black and verde and then just completely rip their shit off within the legal limits uh fuck the legal limits but um um no, I was a little encouraged. I've been kind of depressed about this, honestly, since it happened. I was very encouraged by the turnout at the Austin Rise game, but, um, you know, we can support women's soccer in our way, but um, Carrie, like, how do we fix this? I mean, like, a, there's very limited power within fans as far as, like, actually forcing stuff. Um, what I I think is the more realistic thing to happen is – if we're reminding each other constantly of the tallies that we're keeping of the, you know, the stuff I had mentioned earlier, the lack of support for multiple social issues that like took us what three seasons just to get like uh, enough drinking water on the concourse uh, in the hottest MLS stadium on the, you know, in the country, um, keeping tallies and reminding each other that these are the things we've asked for that have not been answered. These are the ways that they've messed up before with, you know, hiring people without proper background checks or hiring people and just not giving a shit. Um, You are going to start alienating people, even just with the ticket increase, like up to 14% in certain season ticket holder areas. 
um, seeing a lot of people that have been a backbone in this community say, that's it, I'm out, can't afford this. And knowing what they have put into this community and they're already, you know, they're like, sorry, can't do it. Um, you're the more that we see these things happening and the less they choose to listen to us, the more that their product is going to change. You know, right now it doesn't matter how bad the team's playing. It's like, it's for the fans. It's our environment. You guys are always here. This is, you know, you can every single post when they don't have a win to brag about, then they're talking about the fans. It's for the support. You guys do this. You guys are always here. That's going to change. That's going to change when you price people out. That's going to change when they're not being heard. That's going to change when your product on the field is not fantastic. Um, and I think it might take a while, but I think just as a, a collective whole, whether you do something like a concessions ban, which is an easier thing to ask of people than, you know, ask because you can still bring in, you know, and get free water to at least sustain you during the game. But you know, for people who have already purchased tickets and are like, well, I'm not going to leave the stands empty or they're not going to sell their ticket because they know someone's just going to buy it. Maybe not now, but other times um, starting with small things like that and just trying to rem remind each other as a whole that at some point this list this laundry list of things is going to get long enough that everybody's going to have at least something on that list that really bothers them. And this environment that they brag on so much that attracts players that Dryusi said he came here because of this fan environment. Um, if you're, you might not be able to get as many people in on one specific issue, but the longer they do stuff like this, the more they add things to it, the more you're going to be able to get enough people going, I'm pissed about this, this, or this. And yeah, what do you, what do you want to do to take action for it? You know, concessions are a high dollar, uh, item for them or high uh, margin item for them and is an easy thing to do. But um, obviously he's gone. The Claudio issue, he's already gone. He's out of the way, but there's about a thousand other things that we're still kind of asking the front office to hear us out on. So just as a collective reminding each other that we do have the power, whether it's through getting loud online and hoping enough people see it or through maybe starting to uh, manipulate the revenue. Yeah, Claudio's gone. Uh, here's a 14% increase. Chant your chance, peasants. Yep. Um, that's sort of the attitude we're getting. And mm -hmm. uh, it's. Oh, a ticket rep even had said, like, this is, you're paying for the signings. It's like, oh, are we really? We're paying, that's that's what we're paying oh, for. Oh, really? Can, can I uh, have some input on them then? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do I have any say in maybe who sticks around? Or, you know, maybe I thought you shouldn't have spent that much on that guy. Where do Where do I get to chime in on this? Guys, um, we were responsible for Cecilia leaving, remember? Like, this is just proof of that. If he was Good. here, none of this would have happened. <laughs> uh, Him and his superior skills would have taken us to the MLS Cup last year. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not going to go into this giant thing, but the thing that annoys me, because, like, I understand sort of on, like, the David Villa thing when people are like, but he kicks the ball really well. Like, Cecilia was a shitty player. Why are you guys standing up for him? <laughs> he, he like, got I, I know that's a terrible thing to say, but... <laughs> Yeah, like, he literally just got let go from Santos because of the fact that he is such a terrible player. Yeah, that's where it comes back to. It was just like, well, hey, I, I could see myself getting accused of that because I do that at home all the time. What do you mean that's abusive? And then they were like, all right, well, we're going to we're sticking by him. That was that was the entire basis of 99 percent of the pro Cecilio crowd. Uh, a lot of people that see nothing wrong with those behaviors because they do them, too. Well, yeah, well, it's also the same, like, the only two things I love are outlaw country and the law crowd. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't want to get too deep into this. Uh, Harley, what's going on? <laughs> so I was going to say, well, and the thing is, the front office seems to be failing to realize if they alienate the fan base enough that they're going to end up with a stadium like that of Frisco and Crynamo, where there is a small group of very loyal and devout fans who alienate the rest of the fan base and no one else. The stadium culture will change and they won't be able to use us to encourage profits and drive sales yeah unfortunately the way uh franchise valuations are going they're still going to make money and we're going to be the ones losing out so everything sucks how are you guys doing today Um. (laughs) (laughs) everything's fine nothing's on fire yeah exactly that uh we're used to the fire by now it's a little toasty cozy yeah Um, get some marshmallows i want to this bitch I know we could do like nine more hours on this, especially if we got into <laughs> some side topics, but uh, are there any uh, closing words either of you want to want to say to kind of wrap up this topic? Uh, well, Harley, you can go first. Yeah, I, I think it's just kind of like what I said earlier about the fact that it's disappointing that it is more of the same um, from a men's sports team that I love it's it's disappointing that we as fans have to be responsible for being the moral compass and it's incredibly upsetting that it's not just like quote-unquote small things where it's like a poor choice or like not that drinking and driving is okay but like it's not like that where it's something that can be kind of quickly addressed it seems things that are severe like serial abuse and things like that and corruption and taking bribes. And it just never seems to get better. But I think for me, the silver lining is the fact that there is a fan base here in Austin that is willing to be the moral compass. And it doesn't feel like you are alone in that fight anymore. Oh, that's positive. Uh, You're definitely Mm -hmm. on the wrong podcast. (laughs) Um, Carrie, anything to add? I, I, that exactly what Harley said. Uh, they made a lot of really good points about just the expecting men's sports to change when, you know, you've got a, a admitted rapist being one of the highest paid soccer players on the planet. Um, here you have people, it, I, by the way, not again, not to sidetrack, but you make even a comment about someone like that. And it's like, ah, it's a long time ago. Ah, that's fine. He paid them off. That's the attitude that we're working with here. So we're already kind of broken. Um, I don't mean to be like the, hey, maybe when this like set of soccer fans die, something good will move in from behind. <laughs> but um, I, the positive parts of that are we're trendsetters in Austin, have been since day one, thanks to people who came from other soccer communities where they you know, grew up, found their fandom, built something, but didn't fit there quite as well as they fit here. And I think this fan group being loud being vocal, being on the right side of a lot of these issues um, is something that we can build on as long as we don't like all get priced out into the parking lot. But, um, you know, with the community exists largely online, not even just in the stadium. And I, I think that's, that is one of the positive things I see going forward is, you know, trying to change something. A lot of people find it to be a, a lost cause or an effort that they don't want to put time into especially when everything else is falling apart around them but you know it is something that as a group 
I've seen just in our own little ways, people take on what they can handle when they can handle it and continuing to add to this welcoming, safe environment um, is only going to make those voices louder and hopefully will set something that other places um, maybe emulate and help drown out some of the, the real negative sides to professional sports, especially on men's teams. Okay, well, I'm definitely not going to top that. So I think we're going to close on uh, on those two lovely bits. But, um, you know, uh, folks, thanks for suffering through all of this bullshit with us. Uh, and by bullshit, I mean the, the things that professional sports and to a lower degree, as we've talked about, um, other sports have put us through. And uh, I always close this show by saying thanks for suffering with us. But uh, <laughs> on, on this note, I think we're going to say uh, keep moving forward and uh, stay strong together with us. Thanks. Bye. Bonus here for Austin Jarrett Stroud. It's Diego for goodness. He has written his name into Austin folklore. They just won't go away. Oh, he hits the upright again. That's impossible. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. Altino squares it. Dempsey's missed it. Donovan has it. From hope, there is glory.